Well, morning church. Um, before we get started, I'm just going to open in prayer. Um, Father, as we open the word this morning, um, just give me your wisdom and strength as I attempt to faithfully unpack your word and disseminate your will for God-honoring deacons. Help us to focus and understand well, and may this shape us all as we approach the upcoming Elders and Deacons Review. In your precious name we pray, amen. So, as I'm sure you're already aware, this morning's sermon is on what is the biblical definition of a deacon. Now, as Sam mentioned last week, this is part of a mini-series we're doing. Uh, last week, Sam spoke on the role of elder. This week, I'll speak on the role and qualifications of deacon. And next week, Drew will speak on the role of partner. Now, I'll be breaking down this morning's sermon into four more manageable questions. Uh, what is the role of deacons? What are the qualifications required of deacons? Was Phoebe a deacon? Is there such a thing as a deaconess? And why we should all strive in our personal lives to meet the qualifications of deacon. Now, before we talk about what a deacon is, let's just quickly discuss the origin of the word and the original meaning. Now, the word deacon, or in the Greek, diakonos, uh, is used in two senses in the New Testament. So it can mean servant, or the word diakonos uh, can also mean a specific ministry position or the office of deacon. Now the Greek word diakonos, uh, when they translated to English, instead of just directly translating, deacon is a transliteration where they've taken diakonos and formed um, an English, English word. So, with that, let's begin. What is the role of deacons? Now, the only real job description that we're given for deacons is in Acts 6, chapters 1 to 6. So, we'll read from Acts 6, verses 1 to 6. In those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. The twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, It would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, who we can appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole company. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicena, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a convert from Antioch. They had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. So what is the role of deacon? 
Well, foremost, deacons were chosen to perform a specific task. Here we see that the deacons were appointed to the role of fairly distributing food amongst the widows within the church, ensuring that one group was not favoured more than another. So we see that deacons are appointed for a specific purpose or task. There is no such thing as the role of deacon for the sake of being a deacon. Deacons are employed for a purpose. Furthermore, there's no additional authority given to deacons. They are given a responsibility over the task they are to complete. Now, this is important as often the role of deacon can be labelled or treated incorrectly. Deacons are not junior elders. They do not have authority over church members. They have responsibility over a specific task or ministry under the authority of the eldership. Now, a slight nuance to this point. While deacons are appointed to a specific purpose or task, there is reason to believe that deacons can be appointed a role with no end date, an ongoing purpose. In Acts 6, the deacons are appointed to hand out food to the widows. So while there is possibility here that after a period of time that role would subside, the ministry would no longer be required. When Paul writes to the church at Philippi, there's evidence that would suggest that there is offices of deacon that are ongoing, recurring offices. So uh, if we jump to Philippians 1.1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. So here he addresses the saints, the elders and the deacons which would suggest the office of deacon is a more permanent role. It's an ongoing role in the church at Philippi. Now, while we don't have knowledge of what that role was, it would seem permanent, and so we can assume that there is temporary appointments to the diaconate, and there are permanent appointments to the diaconate, depending on the role or task required. Now, secondly, deacons were chosen to fulfill a task so that the elders, and at that point the apostles, would not get distracted from their work. Here we see that ultimately the elders were the government, governing authority within the church, and their response to an issue arising was not to add more to their plate, but was to appoint or to create the role of deacons to fulfill those specific tasks so that they could continue to focus on the role of elder. If we jump to Acts 6, 1 to 6, or Acts 6, 2 to 3, sorry, uh, the 12 summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, it would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God, to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, select from among you men of good rapport. Clearly, the job to be undertaken was important enough for the elders to appoint deacons to take care of the ministry, but again, 
was not the primary objective of the elders. So while they had input into the ministry, ultimately it was left to the deacons to lead that ministry. So in our church, we have rosters, building and property maintenance that is overseen by the deacons. Say if Cohen was out on the mower and the mower blades broke, he wouldn't ring Sam or Drew and go, yo, can we get some new mower blades for the mower? That's outside of the primary focus of elder. When Amy wanted a playground for playgroup, she didn't buy one and erect it herself. She didn't go to an eldership meeting and ask for one. She met with the deacons, discussed what she needed, and the deacons arranged the purchase and erection of a playground. And finally, last year when the whirlybirds on the roof were squeaking, they didn't send Calvin up the ladder to go and grease them. The deacons organized, got the job done, and we're blessed with silence. The role of deacon is to fulfill a specific task or purpose so that elders would not be distracted from ministering the word. What are the requirements then for deacons? Now, while we struggle to fill an exhaustive job description for deacons, there's a little more available when it comes to the requirements of deacons within the church. Firstly, deacons are to be elected by the church. Acts 6.3 says, Brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, who we can appoint to this duty. While the elders determined the need for deacons to perform the ministry, it was the church who were asked to pick seven, in this instance, men to fulfill the role of deacon who would meet the requirements. Good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom. So while new elders or overseers are to be put before the church by the elders and voted on by the church congregation, the need for a deacon or group of deacons is identified by the elders and the selection of candidates is carried out by the congregation. Now secondly, within the same passage, we see that deacons are called to be of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom. So deacons are called to be standout congregants, people who are recognized as godly, of good faith and with wisdom to lead in their appointed ministry. Now, if you turn with me to 1 Timothy 3, 8 to 13, here Paul spells out the qualifications for deacons in his letter to Timothy. So 1 Timothy 3, 8 to 13. Deacons likewise should be worthy of respect, not hypocritical, not drinking a lot of wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They must also be tested first. If they prove blameless, then they can serve as deacons. Wives, likewise, should be worthy of respect, 
not slanderers, self-controlled, faithful in everything. Deacons will be the husbands of one wife, managing their children and their own households competently. For those who have served well as deacons acquire a good standing for themselves and great boldness in the faith that is Christ Jesus. So we see further to the requirements given in Acts. Here in 1 Timothy, Paul affirms the need for the deacons to be upright and worthy of respect. For instance, it would be hard to trust a man who's not faithful with how he spends his time at work to count the offering each week. Deacons are called to be upright and above reproach. Additionally, deacons are required to not be hypocritical or drinkers of much wine. Now, this is really self-explanatory. All forms of alcohol, whether an elder, a deacon, or a partner, should be consumed in moderation, if at all, and hypocrisy is the opposition of honesty and sincerity. Now, I'm going to do something a little controversial. I'm going to skip over verse 11. However, before you ring Sam, I'm coming back to it. The order I'm doing it in, it just makes it a bit more succinct if I skip over it and come back to it in my next argument. So, all right, Isaac, put your phone down. Now, verse 12 says, Deacons are to be the husbands of one wife, managing their children and their own households competently. So what's the intended meaning of this verse? I believe that the intended meaning is that male deacons, if married, should be a one-woman man, not neglecting their family, but leading their family well, as they would in parallel lead within the context of their appointed ministry. If they are not married, they should have a healthy respect for women and should be careful to guard themselves from temptation as they interact with women in their role. Now, in response to any translation that an unmarried person cannot occupy the role of deacon, I would point to 1 Corinthians verses seven, uh, chapter 7, verses 8, and verses 32 to 34a. So 1 Corinthians 7, 8. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. Jump to 32. I want you to be without concern. The unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But the married man is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. I would argue that Paul clearly would suggest that you can remain, if you can remain unmarried, it is better for your service to God. So how then could he recommend to Timothy that men must be married first to become deacons? It's not reconcilable. Instead, we should be, instead, as above, I would suggest that Paul is specifying that if a man is married, he should be committed to one woman, not married twice, not fooling around on the side, 
but having a healthy respect for women and guarding his heart, lest he be overcome by the flesh. Finally, Paul concludes with a note regarding reward for those who serve well as deacons. The office of deacon is to be filled by someone full of the Spirit, upright and blameless, and someone who will guard his heart against the nature of the flesh. He should be appointed by the church on recognition of a need by the elders. Now, we jump to, was Phoebe a deacon? Can women be deacons? Now, this is where we get to the interesting part of the passage, part that's a little bit less clear-cut. In verse 11, where it says, wives likewise, could also be interpreted as women likewise. So Let's have a look at the possibility of women in the diaconate. Now, I'd first like to preface this point by saying I've been in direct communication with the elders during the development of this sermon. They are comfortable with me mentioning this because it's not a black and white issue. There is grey area. But ultimately, it's up to the elders to make decisions for this church to determine where the church falls on any particular subject. Now, there are only two possible references to female deacons within the New Testament. Phoebe is mentioned as a diaconos in Romans 16. And secondly, 1 Timothy 3 may give requirements for both male and female deacons. Now, if we return to 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 to 11, from before... It appears to define the qualifications of male deacons from 8 to 10 and female deacons in verse 11. Here the CSB translates the Greek word in verse 11 as wives, but it could also be translated as women. Now either to be a deacon, your wife must meet a list that looks oddly similar to your own, or... Paul here lists the qualifications for women to be deacons as well. Verses 8 to 11 read, Deacons likewise should be worthy of respect, not hypocritical, not drinking a lot of wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They must also be tested first. If they prove blameless, then they can serve as deacons. Wives likewise, or possibly women likewise, should be worthy of respect, not slanderers, self-controlled, faithful in everything. Firstly, the primary list of qualifications given for, for deacons looks very similar to the list of requirements potentially given to deaconesses. Deacons are called to be worthy of respect, as are deaconesses. Deacons are called to not be double-tongued. Deaconesses are called to not be slanderers. Deacons are called to be tested and prove themselves, not addicted to much wine and not greedy for dishonest gain. Deaconesses are called to be faithful in all things, 
which could almost be considered a catch-all for the last three requirements of a deacon. Now, these look like qualifications for doing ministry. They don't look like qualifications to be married to someone doing ministry. Now, secondly, if deacon has similar, slightly reduced qualifications to that of an elder, then if one were to propose that 1 Timothy 3.11 is referring to the responsibilities of deacons' wives, why is there no such qualification for elders' wives? If there is a list of requirements for a deacon's wife, would not a role of elder that is of more importance, of a higher calling, also warrant the specification of qualifications for elders' wives? When we consider that Scripture is so clear as the requirements of an elder to be male and Paul's list of, of qualifications of an elder strictly denote a male figure for that role, would it not be logical that when he specifies the requirements for a deacon, he might also list the requirements for a deaconess in the same passage? Now finally, I'd like to point us to Romans 16.1, which reads, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant or deacon of the church at Sincrea. Now, this passage talks about Phoebe as a servant slash deacon, again from the Greek diakonos, so the translation isn't cut and dry. So which does it mean? Various Bible translations have a mixed understanding of what it means. My understanding, and one held by several scholars, would suggest that the phrasing of the verse would indicate that she held the office of deacon, she was not merely of a servant nature. This is qualified by the phrase, a diakonos of the church at Sincrea. Douglas Moo, an avid complementarian, qualifies this by saying, she was a deacon, but does, that does not make her a leader or teacher as Paul was. He was happy to accept that she was a deacon or deaconess, but was quick to hold egalitarians at bay by saying, yes, she was a deacon, but deacon is not a teaching role, the way an elder is or an apostle was. Just a quick explanation. An egalitarian is someone who would believe that men and women are equal in the eyes of God and equal in role and responsibility as opposed to complementarian, a position which is held by our church, that men and women are equal before God, but are given different roles by God. So while it's not clear, my understanding is that the Bible does make provision for female deacons. As the office of deacon is to serve within a specific ministry, under the authority of the eldership, in the local church. Before we move on, I'd like to mention that this is the camp in which I reside. However, there are plenty of God-honoring men and women who would come down on the other side of the line. 
I recognize that this is still open to different interpretation. And again, I would say it is up to the elders to wrestle on topics of ambiguity and determine where the church falls on any given topic. Now, why should we strive to fill the office of deacon or to be deacon-like in our Christian walk? Now, to finish up, I'd like to speak to the fact that we should all strive to qualify for the role of deacon. Irrelevant of whether we are ever elected or not. First, I'd like to share an illustration from a sermon by Stephen Cole. A man used to visit a tiny country general store that had a clerk named Jake, who seemed like the laziest man on earth. One day, he noticed that Jake wasn't around, so he asked the proprietor, Where's Jake? Oh, Jake retired, the proprietor answered. Retired, huh? The man replied. What are you going to do to fill the vacancy? The owner replied, Jake didn't leave no vacancy. Now I'm concerned the same thing can be said of so many Christians with regard of their service for Christ. They didn't leave no vacancy. Every Christian should leave a vacancy when he or she moves on because we're all called to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. The office of deacon is a specific position within the church. However, this servant-like attitude should be found within each of us. Like Stephen said above, are we serving in such a way at church that our absence would be noticed? They would leave a hole within the fellowship. Or do we simply show up and participate in church congregation on Sunday? Now, we're not all called to serve up the front in a way that people will notice and recognize. Humble service can and should be done in a way that our service is not immediately visible. We can all give thanks to God for that. There are so many jobs that happen behind the scenes in our church. The communion cups don't fill themselves each Sunday. The building doesn't magically lock itself up once everybody leaves. Will we be missed if our service stops? Now, I do want to quickly recognize that there are forms of service in church that may not be recognized if they stop. Like if some of our prayer warriors in a church were to stop prayer service, that wouldn't immediately be noticeable, but it would have an impact, would it not? If someone praying 20 hours a week for people and ministries in our church stopped, that would be noticeable. A deacon is someone who's been called to serve in a particular ministry for a purpose and so that the elders don't get bogged down with the daily formalities within the body, but can focus on prayer, direction, and spiritual nourishment of the church. Now, if you're sitting here thinking, 
would I be missed if I moved churches? There's lots of ministries that need volunteers. Currently, the deacons are trying to fill the rosters for the next period. Can you serve in some way on one of the rosters? Or do you feel called to join one of the various kids' ministries? I can tell you for certain that youth is crying out for female leaders. Or is your passion to maintain a list of prayer points for various people and ministries in the church that you can commit to pray for regularly? In what ways can you serve the church if not within the office of deacon? Now finally, I want to share the ultimate diakonos, the perfect servant, Christ Jesus. So we'll jump to Romans 15.8. For I say that Christ became a servant of the, uncir- of the circumcised on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises to the fathers. We'll jump to Philippians 2.7. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man... He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Christ humbled himself, became a servant for us, and died for us that we might be made alive in him. He modeled servant-heartedness for us that we may mirror that and serve our church family. Have we accepted Christ as Lord and Saviour, devoted ourselves to Him? And if so, how are we faithfully serving Him within our sphere of influence in the church this week? How will our service bring honour and glory to Christ? Let's pray. Father, I thank You that You have modelled the role of deacon in the church as someone appointed by the church in response to a need recognized by the elders to faithfully serve you and to bring you glory. I pray that each of us would desire to fulfill the requirements of a godly deacon, that our conduct would be upright, holy, and pleasing to you, and that each of us would use the gifts and abilities that you have granted to us to serve your bride, the church, that as a body we would bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks.